Wonderful opportunity to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in music this morning. And our children, second grade and under, may leave for children's church. time of the year our children are preparing for our annual thank the Lord we're going back to it now children's Christmas play in a little over a month so please keep that in mind as well they are practicing on Sunday evenings here at the church so for those of you that are listening or joining with us this morning via the internet, we do welcome you. And along with our congregation, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now we want you to follow along because um, mainly so you understand I'm not making any of this up. That What we're reading obviously is from the Word of God. We have a few Bibles for you. The passage is on page 1014, so Feel free to use those and follow along. That version is the English Standard. I preach from the Old King James primarily because I've done that for about 30 years in this Bible and I don't want to move my notes, so I stay right there. Not, uh, not a lot of differences. So we preach and teach expositionally in practically every service here. And we've been now in First Peter. This is actually the 30th message uh, from um, the epistle that Peter wrote to the pilgrims that were scattered abroad in Rome. Now, I'm only going to focus on one verse this morning. This is the verse that we started last Sunday morning, which is verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we're going to mix the a lot of the other verses in as we go through, but this is primarily where our focus is going to be this morning. Let's go to the Lord Jesus in prayer. Father, forgive us because we are an ignorant people, and so we need to learn. And we pray that you would open our hearts and make us receptive to the Spirit of God, who is the great teacher. He's the author of the Word that reveals to us your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us of our indifference, you would challenge us through the Word, that you would save sinners, sanctify believers, and bring us to the foot of the cross today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, first slide, uh, a little review as to where we were or last Sunday morning. Focusing on the four privileges that are listed in verse 9. Now, the title of the message is Honor the, Corner, uh, the Cornerstone and His Gospel, or primarily the revelation that we have here that we are a royal priesthood. Now, there are four privileges to our identification. Our identification as believers is not in ourselves. It is in Christ, and Christ has given us these four privileges. We covered last Sunday morning, the first one, we're chosen generation, and then we went into a royal priesthood. We didn't finish it. Uh, I hope to finish that this morning. We may or may not. And then the third one is a holy nation, his own special people. So we started to look at royal priesthood. In fact, in verse 5, Peter talks about a holy priesthood, that we are built up as spiritual into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes a number of passages from the Old Testament. We'll look at one more this morning that is uh, uh, in verse 10 that he quotes from the book of Hosea. So our identity as being a royal priesthood is found in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the cardinal principles of the Reformation, and we spent some time on this last Sunday, uh, is that the Reformation rediscovered 
the priesthood of all believers. And I mentioned that to you, that it's important to remember this is not the priesthood of believers. This is the priesthood of all believers. So everyone here this morning that knows the Lord as Savior, everyone that's lis listening or watching via the internet this morning, you are, if you are born again, you are part and parcel of being privileged to have a priesthood because of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, the best definition I found for the priesthood of all believers is the one that's listed for you on the slide. And it reads that the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, the presence, and the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. And all believers have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. Don't misunderstand what this principle states. Timothy George, we quoted from him a number of times over the past few weeks. He is the founder and dean at Beeson Seminary in Alabama. I mentioned to you that he was one of the first students at Liberty uh, back when it was Lynchburg Baptist College, and then he went off to complete his theological work at other places. But he has written this. He says, In the community of saints, God has so tempered the body that we are all priests to each other. And that's important. We stand before God, and we intercede for one another, we proclaim God's word to one another, and we celebrate his presence among us in worship, in praise, and fellowship. Moreover, in addition, our priestly ministry does not terminate upon ourselves. It propels us into the world of service and witness. So we spent some time last Sunday focusing on the fact that no one person makes up a church. The church is composed of born-again believers that assemble, the called-out assembly, to proclaim God's word to one another and to celebrate his presence among us in worship, in praise, and in fellowship. So we are a royal priesthood, which basically means there is no hierarchy of beings, whether they be archangels or angels or archbishops or bishops or popes or priests or whatever, standing between the believer and God. Rather, you and I have union. Spent a great deal of time in the latter part of the book of Romans speaking about union. Not only do we have union in Christ, but we have communion with Christ. We have a fellowship with God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. That is what makes us unique in this world. Now, every believer that is united to Christ, and if you're born again, you're united to Christ. You're in Christ, as Paul writes quite often. We share in his priestly office. But this great blessing does not mean that we should reject the authority, the function, and the office of those that are called to minister to us. Christ has given to the church gifts, and this is called out a number of times in the New Testament, primarily in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where Paul wrote, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So one of the reasons that God has me here and Vance here and others to teach and to preach the word of God is to build you up, to prepare you to meet God. Being born again is a wonderful blessing that we have being delivered from our sin and the wrath of God to come. But that does not mean that we are an island to ourselves and can't be taught. In fact, that is ignorance if we think that way. Next slide. We are 
ministers, all of us are ministers. But believers or the laity, and that's the Greek word that is used to define those uh, that are the people of God, has the blessing and authority to read, to interpret, and apply the teachings of the Bible. If we do so within the fellowship of believers in conjunction with gifted pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers in the church are priests like the rest of the body of Christ. I'm not a high priest to you. You're not a high priest to me. We're priests. We're royal priests. We're holy priests because we're part and parcel of the body of Christ. But the Holy Spirit uniquely gifts pastors and teachers so that they can equip the church for your own growth in grace and the proclamation of the gospel. I can't say to you, I don't have any need of you because the Spirit has gifted me to be a shepherd. As long as I preach to myself, I'm fine. I can't say that. And conversely, the laity, people of God, can't say to the pastor, I don't have any need of you either because I'm a priest in Christ. God has arranged the body of Christ, and we see that throughout the New Testament. Peter's talking about it here as well. He has arranged the body of Christ in such a manner that each part of the body, though different in function and gifts, needs every other part. Now turn with me briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We preached through 1 Corinthians a number of years ago, but it's always good to, to review this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I reminded you as we were preaching through 1 Corinthians that uh, you can't model a church after the church at Corinth. This is a corrupt church. They were a carnal church. They were a church that, that basically said, I don't have any need of you. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Some even said, I'm of Christ. So there were these divisions and these schisms within the church that essentially over time would destroy it. So Paul is writing to them to correct their ignorance. And so I'm not going to read this entire chapter. It's rather a lengthy chapter, but notice what he says in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And we find this a number of times in Scripture. Paul's saying this. Peter will say it in his epistles. Jude says it and John says it. So the purpose of receiving the Word of God is to correct basically our indifference, which leads to ignorance. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries. Now, if you were an island to yourself, you wouldn't have differences of ministries. So Paul is writing here to that body that called out assembly so that they understand that God gifts believers differently within the church for the function of the church. And he lists those beginning in verse 7. And I'm not going to read those, but I do want you to drop down to Verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. And then he goes into this, these metaphors about our eyes, our hands, our feet, and so forth. Notice, if you would, verse 24. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body. You and, here, you and I are here this morning because God has composed the body of the Flat Creek family. 
and he has gifted us to carry out these particular uh, gifts of the Spirit so that there be, verse 25, that there be no schism in the body, that there be no division in the body. And he says that, of course, verse 27, you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. Very similar to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, rather, but God has appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, after that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety, uh, varieties, uh, varieties of tongues, and others. And we're not going to exegete that because we did a number of years ago. Perhaps we'll do that at some other time. The point I want you to take from this is that because we have union with Christ, this means that we share in all that he is and all that he does. So because he's our high priest, means that you and I are a royal and high priest. Next slide. We're a royal priesthood because, and we learned this from chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we are, we were rather, and are obedient to the word of God. Now look at verse, go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 8. We spent some time on this when we were preaching through that particular verse. <clears throat> verse 7, Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Quote from Psalm 118. Look at verse, uh, the latter part of verse 8. They stumble. And why do they stumble? Because they are disobedient to the word. Believers are those that obey the word. And we don't do it all the time, obviously. We need to confess it, write it before the Lord, and allow the word of God to change us. Not just say, God, I'm sorry I, I lied. God, I'm sorry I gossiped. God, and, and go ahead and do it again. They were disobedient to the word. They stumble over the chief cornerstone and which they were also appointed. And we talked about that when we were looking at that particular verse. Now, look at verse 10. He talks about us in the latter part of uh, verse 9, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. A special people, he says in, part of, in uh, the first part of verse 9. We're special people who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Paul talked about Gentiles. Peter is writing to some Gentiles, also writing to some Jewish individuals that were converted. So what we see here in verse 10 is a quote, a paraphrase, if you would, from the book of Hosea. So I want you to turn with me back to the book of Hosea. It's the book right after Daniel, Hosea chapter 1. Hosea. <clears throat> and if you would, look at verses 9 and 10. Now, a little background here. Hosea was um, a prophet, uh, basically to the kings of Judah and also to some of the kings of Israel. And he was told, in verse 2, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and a children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he married a prostitute by the name of Gomer, and she had uh, children, verse 9. Then God said, uh, she weaned uh, a, an individual, uh, verse, uh, latter part of verse 6, or middle of verse 6, called her name Lo-Rohamah, which means illegitimate. So this child went through life with the name illegitimate. And, verse 8, now when she had weaned Lo-Rohamah, she conceived and bore a son. And God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people. 
and I will not be your God. Now, there's always a remnant of the Hebrew people, and that's what verse 10 says. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Now look over at chapter 2. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Is not that what Peter said? I will say to those who were not my people, that's you and I. Some of you here this morning may have Jewish heritage. I don't know. I would think that the vast majority of us are Gentile. That's you and I that know the Lord is Savior. I will say to those who were not my people. It's very clear in the Old Testament. We're going to see that in a moment. That you are my people. And they shall say, you are are my God. When's the last time you thank the Lord for being a special people? For being a chosen generation? For being a royal and holy priesthood? I must confess, I don't think about it often, but I should. So he quotes, paraphrases rather, from the prophet Hosea. Now Peter's a fisherman. So how did he learn this? Well he learned it obviously in rabbinical school when he was a child but also the Spirit of God gives him insight. And there's one other thing. Peter studied the Word of God. So he learned this. Now Let's go back to 1 Peter. <clears throat> Remember, he is writing to a group of anxious people. He talked about anxiety. We're going to talk about it a, a little more this morning. He's writing to anxious people who were afraid of the Romans, and here's one of the reasons why. The Roman historian uh, Sitanuus said that Christians were less than Romans. They were, not, they were, they were um, subhuman. In one of his writings, he said this, Punishment was afflicted on the Christians, a class of men given to a new and mischievous superstition. So this spread, among others, he's not the only one that wrote similar uh, uh, things about Christians. But this is part and parcel of why these people were anxious about being born again in basically a pagan world. And we find ourselves in a similar situation today, do we not? I think we do. They were accused, and he wrote further in his history, of being haters of men they were perceived, and perception today has become truth. They were perceived to renounce pleasures. The theater, the races, the gladiatorial combat, which they should have, have uh, spoken out against that type of uh, violence. They were perceived to break home and family ties because their allegiance was to Jesus alone. They were perceived to ruin business. They wouldn't buy the idols and the demigods from the merchants on the streets in the Roman Empire. They abandoned pagan religious festivals. And they were perceived to avoid the civic duty. Does that sound familiar? 
history just repeats itself. Peter understood that much of the vitriol from this historian and many others was fake news. But he also knew that these pilgrims were being rejected because he'd been rejected. Not too soon after, uh, not, uh, soon after Peter wrote these epistles, he was beheaded. He was crucified, rather. So Peter knew what lay in store for him. But he writes anyway because his love and his allegiance, his loyalty to Jesus Christ was far, far greater than to governments or to people that cast dispersion on who you are. This is what we take away from this great epistle. And so he writes to them so that they might know that they are privileged to be part of a royal priesthood. You understand that? Yes, we may be uh, castigated by the world at large today. And really, that's not out of line from history, time, immemorial. So we should not think that we're going to receive any favorable treatment more than our Savior received favorable treatment. So a couple of things here. Because of Christ, we can approach God. We're going to look at that in detail here in just a moment. We don't have a need for a human priest as a mediator because God himself provided the one mediator between God and man. First, Peter, or First Timothy, rather, chapter 2. Providing direct access to God. And secondly, we not only have access to God, we have an active role in God's presence. Once we're saved, we've become king priests. And our lives either perform a spiritual service of worship, as Peter said in verse 5, and as Paul wrote, Romans chapter 12, we beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So the question that we must ask is, do we do, is that part of what we do? Now, either we do, or we're out of character of being a Christian. That was the understanding in the New Testament. That's the understanding in the New Testament today. So, as a royal priesthood, we have the privilege of praying for each other. We have the privilege of dedicating ourselves to the Word of God. We have the privilege of offering our spiritual sacrifice through the Holy Spirit's means of grace, such as being obedient in baptism and taking part in the Lord's Supper, and are active components of salvation. That is part and parcel of what it means to have the priesthood of believers, of all believers. Next slide. So what is our identity? Let's, let's, let's ask a question. Who are you? Well, it leads directly to why didn't the Lord take me home and why did he just leave me here? What am I here for? Our identity leads to destiny, God's purpose. Identity leads to destiny. We're chosen, we're holy for the purpose of following our ministry as priests within the church of the living God. Now, verse 5, Peter talked about a holy priesthood. 
meant to offer spiritual sacrifices, and he ends that verse by saying, through Jesus Christ. So we don't do it on our own volition. We don't do it in our own strength. If we do, we've become, as Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. We're just making noise. It needs to be through the dedication of our hearts and our souls. This is our purpose once we're born again. Now, in order for us to understand this, we need to look at the Old Testament, and we're not going to obviously spend, you could spend weeks on the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. We've been talking about some of this in Sunday school on Sunday morning. But I do want us to go back uh, to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to then go to Le Leviticus chapter 8. But the three primary principles that I want you to see about why we are called a royal priesthood. One of, the, one of the things is, number one, the Old Testament priest had access to Yahweh. Access to God. So turn if you would. Now this is unique because that access, our, our access is even better than the access that the Old Testament priest has. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 19 to begin with. We looked at this last Sunday morning. But uh, as the Word of God is always clear, it's good for us to look at it again. There are three primary reasons here. There are, we have access with God. Uh, access to God, rather. We have the purity of the priesthood, and then we have service. Priests served. And so, as royal priests, we too are to serve. I don't know if you know this or not, or even think about it. But the vast world of unredeemed people do not know God. We live in a very protected area. And in some cases, because we do live in this protected area, we take a great deal of things for granted. And we assume that everywhere we go and travel, even in this country, that everyone knows the Lord is Savior. They don't. And everyone in this area does not know the Lord is Savior. So one of the things that sin does is it distorts our perception of just how sinful people are. That includes ourselves. Because they don't know God, they have no access to God. Neither are they admitted before. Being lost means they can't find God. The Bible says that these people unsaved sinners are far from him afar off they're not close they're far off all manner of descriptive language that describes lost sinners they're distant from God they don't know God although they may think that they do and Paul said Romans 1, they do not like to retain this God, the God of the Bible, in their knowledge. You and I have access to the Trinity because of our high priestly brother, Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, there's no access to God. In the Old Testament, now this is where some of the differences come. 
Israel through the prayer, through their through prayer, could approach Yahweh, but they could not go near his physical presence. Exodus chapter 19, we read a portion of this, if you would. <clears throat> Verse 3, Moses went up to God. This is at the foot of Mount Sinai, Mount, Mount Horeb. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I didn't free you so you could do what you wanted to do. I brought you to myself. And that is freedom. So he said, if you indeed, indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And verse 8 says, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Now drop down to verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. We're going to see that in just a moment when we go to the book of Leviticus. Let them be ready for the third day, and on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds. You're going to put perimeters uh, up for the people, <coughs> saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. You don't have the access to God that my royal priesthood had. Born-again believers have privileges that were unknown to the Old Testament nation of Israel. God came down on Mount Sinai, the people were warned. Don't come near the mountain. And notice what he says. A lot of part of verse 12, whoever touches the mountain. Shall surely be put to death. The stress on the holiness of God. Next slide. So only the high priest, and we find this as we go through the latter part of the book of Exodus into the book of Leviticus. So turn with me right now. Uh, now I want you to see this, and then we'll go to Leviticus later. Only the high priest once a year could enter the Holy of Holies. He had to first offer a sacrifice for himself. Gordon was teaching this morning in the book of Ezekiel how the priest had to first offer sacrifice for themselves before they could offer one for the people. This continues. This is a continuance of what took place in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, because of the cornerstone, you and I as believers have the opportunity and privilege of ministering before the Lord Jesus Christ. We can touch the mountain. That mountain is Calvary. Now, lest we, we understand, of course, that the Levites were the priestly tribe, but unless we get a distorted view of the, of the Levites and say, well, they, they must have been something great about the Levites. Well, let's look at Genesis 49. We just finished Genesis in our evening study. Genesis 49. This is Jacob's last words to his sons. So there were announcements here made, proclamations made, prophecies made about all 12 of his sons. And if you would, let's look at verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter into their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger... They slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Great tribe, Israel. Great tribe, brother, <coughs> Levi. No, they were not. They were cruel. They were vicious. They were violent. To hamstring an ox means that you're taking the livelihood away from another individual. 
So they were thieves. And yet God chose the Levites as priests. Moses was from, from what tribe? You remember? What was he? He's a Levite. Aaron was a Levite. That's their heritage. Do you think there's a message here? Jesus said, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, some additional history so you understand where we're coming from. Hebrews chapter 7, which under, uh, Hebrews basically goes into a lot more detail than Peter does about the royal priesthood that we have. But it says, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. Aaron, Moses, Aaron's sons, Abimelech, all of these throughout the Old Testament were weak. Oh, they may, have been, they may have looked robust. They may have been handsome men. They may have been strong, whatever. But the Bible says they're weak. They're sinners. They were chosen by God because they were weak. The chosen generation means we were elect by God because we're weak. We were still in our sin. No strong men and women before the Lord. How many times do you hear, I'm a strong man, I'm a strong woman. No strong men and women before the Lord. They're weak. They are invalids. God is still choosing the same kind of people today. The weak, the cursed, the sinful. Those of us that are born again have been made royal priest before the most high God. Next slide, if you will. First Corinthians, Paul said God chose the people who couldn't boast. He chose the weak, the common, the ignoble, the sinful, the cursed. That's who God saves. When people recognize that they are weak, when they recognize that they're common, when they recognize that they're ignoble, when they recognize they're sinful and cursed, then they can humble themselves before the mighty hand of God. Before then, no. God still chooses his priest from among the lowly, even as he chose Aaron, a son of Levi. Now, it's an interesting thing. We won't take the time. Perhaps we will later on. But when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam reigned in his stead. Second Kings, Second Chronicles tells us a great deal about all the rebellion that went on. And eventually, Jeroboam took ten tribes to the north, and they became Samaria. One of the tribes that went with Jeroboam was the tribe of Levi. They weren't in Judah. But Jeroboam started to build temples and places of idols and erect them before the people. And the Levites rebelled against Jeroboam and said, no, we're not going to do this. We've already been down this road before. And God has caused a great, he caused a, 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 in, the, in the book of Numbers a great plague to come through and kill a number of the Levites. He said, no, we're not doing this anymore. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, it says, the Levites deserted Jeroboam and came down south to minister the right way under the reign of Rehoboam. So they return, and that's what people do. We want people that will return to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, Israel was a chosen people. They were not a choice people. But the Lord had just told them, you're not the mightiest, 
You're not the prettiest, you're not the strongest, you're not the richest. But I love you. And I'm going to make you a king of priests. They had access to Yahweh only because God permitted them access. Peter says we are chosen not because we're righteous, but because we're unrighteous. And we must always keep this in mind. We are a chosen royal priesthood of sinners. We are the zeros. We are the losers. But it is because of that that God loves us. Oh, what a world we live in. Are we not all the losers before God? The answer to that is yes, we are. But he has taken us from our sinful state, has delivered us by the righteousness of his son, and we now are part and parcel of a royal priesthood. We have obtained mercy. And those that were not his people are now his people. We have access to God. I was hoping to get into Leviticus 8 this morning, but we've gone longer. So we'll come back next Sunday and we'll focus on because of Christ we have access to God. And secondly, because of Christ we are purified of sin. And we'll look at this in detail in Leviticus chapter 8. Moses became the one that instilled and consecrated Aaron and his sons. When you leave this morning, remember, God never chooses proud people. He may break their pride, but they do not come before him as proud. Read the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. They don't come before him as proud. We are gifted by the Lord Jesus Christ to become part and parcel of of a chosen, holy, royal priesthood of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your son. We thank you for the word. Forgive us, Father, because we take this for granted, and may we consecrate our lives yet again this morning to being brothers and sisters that lift up one another, that pray not only for their physical illnesses, Father, but as we were taught in 2nd and 3rd John that we pray for the spiritual, the spiritual development of the folks here that reside flat free. Pray that you'd have your sweet will in your way this morning in the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. might remember years ago, I read a lot of Oz Guinness, and I used to quote a lot of Oz Guinness, and Oz Guinness became very, very ill, so he hasn't written for a while, and now he has a new book called The Magna Carta of Humanity, and he wrote this post-COVID, so he's written it within the past few months, and in this particular book, he says this, and it's, it's so... So interesting the way he frames this. He says, as the world emerges from the global coronavirus pandemic, two of the deepest questions raised are these. Number one, do Americans realize the contours of the world of the future that they have been exposed to? And two, will America now walk more humbly? 
He writes, neither history nor human existence must ever be taken for granted. The passing of the angel of death devastated many of the the modern's lesser gifts, such as comfort and convenience. He's talking about coronavirus. But it also rocked the central citadel of the idol of mastery, our control, and our self-reliance. For all of our reason, all of our science, all of our technology, our management, and our punditry, talking heads, human existence is never fully under human control. God takes sinners and makes them priests. What a God we serve. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we obviously can't save you, but Jesus can. And he takes you just as you are, but he's not going to leave you just as you are. He's going to change you, and that's a good thing, because we need to be changed. We need to be fashioned as Jesus is. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation here in just a moment, give you an opportunity to to make your way out of the pew. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we encourage you. We can show you how you can leave this place being born again this morning. Have this great privilege. And yes, when I came before the Lord, I was a loser. I was zero, big zero. There are no, no, First-time draft picks in the Lord's army. You and I stand on level ground before the cross. So we encourage you to come this morning. If you're here today as a child of God, the Lord's leading you into the fellowship of this church. You know the Lord is Savior. Perhaps you followed him or need to follow him in believer's baptism. We give you opportunity this morning to, to make that decision, claim Christ as following him in obedience. As a child of God, we pray for each other this morning. This is something, again, until I studied this, I've read this passage a number of times, but every time you go back and study something, it opens your minds up, and that's what God intends.